0: Hey, are we up there, Michael? Get in here and let's get this thing started, baby. Hey, Mark. Re- are you ready to go? Are you ready to go? Are you scared? We got a big show I'm, today, baby. You got to be ready to go. I'm,
1: I'm very ready to go, man. It's, it's, all, it's all good. You're here. The Wi Fi works. We're not sitting on Zoom doing it live with no graphics. So we're here.
0: Hey, well, just wait a second now. There's a tropical storm going on outside. So there is any moment the roof might blow off the house. As a matter of fact, this morning, Michael, when I was taking my wife to work, I saw the animals paired up two by two, so it, that's the kind of weather we're dealing with right now. So it's, <laughs> it's been biblical rains. Hey, I got to ask you a question, first of all, before we get started. As the engineer of this show, and the mm. guy who puts this whole thing together, right, I'm a little concerned. I'm a little bit concerned. All right, Can I express my concerns to you?
1: Go for it, man. Go for it.
0: All right, you show up in a black T-shirt today with that haircut that you just got and the way you shaved your beard, and I'm thinking I might lose you like you become a roadie for, uh, like, Slipknot or somebody like that, like one of those heavy metal bands. Is that what's going on in your future, or we can I count on you next week?
1: You can definitely count on me next week. Um, lockdown here, the, the hairdressers haven't been open for for three months, for three and a half. like you know, you were in the UK before we left. Like we're, we're still in lockdown. I can't get my haircuts. So my wife had to cut my hair. So yeah, I mean, why not? If you if you have it at my age now, Jeff, it's, you know, you might as well show it off a little bit. But for you're now, right, I, I mean,
0: you're, you're right. <laughs> hey, talk about news. Talk about haircuts. Talk about a guy who didn't take a haircut. I mean, didn't take a haircut. Dat Prescott, right? Look at this new deal. OK, not let's not talk about the money first. Let's talk about two things that I think are really significant about to do deal. Number one, he's got a no trade clause in that contract and he's got a no tag clause in that contract. So he has the right to refuse both of those things. You're talking about a contract that will earn him a sixty six million dollar signing bonus all right so Dak Prescott signs his name to the contract he's that's 66 mil in the bank right now right now the cool thing for the Cowboys though Mike think about it from the Cowboys standpoint we'll get into this today on on the Irish podcast but if you think about it from the Cowboys standpoint this is going to save them I think like I, I don't know it's like $15 15 million in the cap as compared to putting the tag on him for another year. So for Jerry Jones, it's a it's a great deal. And for, for Dak Prescott, it's a great deal. And for the Cowboy fans, it's a great deal because there's no question that he was the guy. I mean, not in my mind. So it's a win-win-win-win all the way around deal in Dallas. What's your take?
1: Do you know what? Like, I, I I completely agree with what you're saying. I thought it would come maybe down the line. I thought it would be tied, and it would take a bit more time. So it was a bit of a surprise. We spoke to Gene Slater last week, who thought that it wouldn't come this quick. But for him to get uh, 126 million guaranteed, and even at the end of that con, at the end of that contract, Patrick Mahomes has got eight years left on his deal. That <laughs> do you know I mean? that, that like that's just put it there now.
0: You know, and I. I, I hear you, man, but I'm I'm saying to me that the, always the number one thing to me is what does it do, do for the team, right? Hmm. And if it does that, if it saves 15 million lower than would have been to tagging, just to keep him for one more year, now you got him for five. You can prorate that signing bonus over five years. So again, it's it, it's a great deal, I think, and I'm really again. Give the Cowboys credit. Give Dak Prescott credit and their agents. I thought it was really a cool deal. Talk about about, about franchise tags. Here we go. Up to date. Here we are. Who's getting them and who ain't getting them? All right. Allen Robinson, you are tagged. Come on down. All right. To the tag party. Bucks wide receiver Chris Godwin. Boom. You are tagged. Come on down to the tag party. All right. Washington Redskins offensive lineman Brandon Scherf. You're going to wear a tag, not a tie. You're going to wear a tag next year. Jets safety, Marcus May. Come on down to the tag party, brother, because you got tagged. Jags offensive lineman Cam Robinson. And this one was really interesting because this is going to tell an awful lot about what Urban Meyer's got going on down in yeah. j But they tagged Cam Robinson. I think that's a big one. He would have been one of the better tackles on the market if he would have gotten to the market. Uh, The Lions are not going to tag Kenny Galladay, and the Steelers aren't going to tag Bud Dupree. Those are big, big deals, in my opinion. I I just really think when you look at this, uh, teams have been really, really careful about how they use the tag and when they use the tag. And remember, what does it do here? It doesn't exclusively hold the like. They're going to continue to negotiate contracts all the way up to training camp, but this gives them exclusive negotiation rights to that player. I think it's a really, really good deal. So, good use of the tag by a number of NFL clubs.
1: And I think the deadline is actually in fifty minutes. I, I, in case the NFL doesn't extend it, but it is scheduled to be finished within the hour as well. So, who knows what could happen during the show, Jeff?
0: Well, I know one thing: your tag. We put the tag on you, so you can't. You get the average of the top five highest being paid. Engineers, podcast engineers in all of Belfast. You're the average of the top high. As a matter of fact, I think right now you're probably the highest paid one. But um, we're, well, we're, we tagged you anyway. We'll
1: we'll uh, talk about this after the draft, Jeff, and, and see the crackers we said here in Belfast.
0: Hey, let's <laughs> let's see. Uh, let's see if we can find our, our draft guru if he's floating around out there, and let's talk a little. time.
1: oh, oh.
0: there he is. Right there. I'll be bouncing all over the place on me here, Spenny. (laughs) Hey, tight ends, baby. Let's talk about it because it was a forgotten position not many years ago in the National Football League, and now it is a premier position with these new offensive schemes. Let's get going. Give me your top five and why.
2: Yeah, it's a great segue. Let's start at number one with a a special player, Kyle Pitts, out of the University of Florida, Uh, 605-2, 240 Great hype. Probably, probably you'll see him by his pro day be up in the in the high two forties once he gets into a good combine program. This is a guy in eight games had forty three catches for seven hundred and seventy yards and twelve touchdowns, and that's not a uh, that's not a metric for our evaluation, but that is just a that's a confirmation. You know, that's just that's just confirming what you see on tape, and you know what I see on tape with him is it's a special talent. It's a guy that lines up in line off the ball in the slot out at X and and does it all, he's got great ball skills to snatch away from his frame. You know, he can win in high traffic areas. He can elevate and out jump some of the DBs he played against. And you like the foot quickness and speed. I mean, it's really high end, but but the elite quality for me is the body control and balance. You know, and why is that so important? For me, it was just, this is a guy who can take a seven yard slant you know, and turn it into a 20 yard, 22 yard game, you know, whether it's office hit, you know, this is a guy that can elevate, you know, for a jump ball, keep his feet and take another 40 yards for a touchdown. And I think that's the difference between a 55, 60 yard a game tight end and a 100 yard a game tight end, you know, make, making him that type of high end pro bowl type tight end, you know, and he's got all the skills in the pass game, but really in the run game. I mean, you saw him in line and, and, and of course he was overmatched just because of his size, you know, at the point of attack against some of these DNs, but you saw the competitiveness. You saw the willingness. And what I really liked was uh, just some of the, his blocking in the perimeter. You know, this was some guy that could release and he'd kick out a, a corner on a tunnel screen. Um, you saw him in the Alabama game off offset and, and lead up uh, in the goal line and lead up and, and take on a fullback or, excuse me, as a line, uh, take on a linebacker as a lead block for a touchdown. So that shows me the competitiveness, the willingness. I mean – and, and the exciting part about him is I still think there's growth to his game. You know, I look at him as a route runner and I still see a ceiling uh, for him, which is exciting with all the athletic traits and, and the production he's had. So I think he's going to be an early starter uh, with perennial pro, uh, pro bowl type talent. I was really excited watching his tape. All
0: right. I buy into everything you're saying with this kid. Like I watched him, Spence, and the subtleness, the, the nuances in his game For a college tight end are fascinating to me like i'm watching him on the goal line and how he negotiates traffic in the red zone which is a big part of being able to get open in the red zone he understands how to set a defender how to use a subtle arm over you know not a big swim just a little arm over a hack with his hands to get people you know get away in traffic if there's anybody in this draft that to me has been a guy that And and this was really interesting to me because Daniel Jeremiah from NFL Network's a guy that we both have a tremendous amount of respect for and not a hyperbole guy, right? Not a guy that's going to say a a bunch of stuff and and just to to get clickbait. I heard him say that if there's one gold jacket guy in this draft, and a gold jacket guy is a euphemism for a Hall of Famer, that it's Kyle Pitts out of Florida. Do, Do you think he's got that kind of ceiling? Because we're talking about a Hall of Fame ceiling now.
2: It, it, it's tough not to, I mean, from a scouting perspective, the traits are, are just so evident. But like you said, just with, with where the NFL game's going, the exciting part is this is a guy that no matter what the personnel grouping is, 10, 11, 12, he's going to be on the field no matter what. And kind of what sealed it for me was in in this Alabama game, he lines up out wide against a guy that we'll be talking about in the DB section, Pat Sertain Jr. And uh, releases on him and opens him up and wins on a quick slant for a play. This is a, this is a guy that's projected to be a top two round pick. So to have that ability out wide as a tight end type, and then what he can do still in line is just, I mean, that's kind of an offensive coordinator's dream to be that multiple where you can just move that guy around the field. And I think his willingness and competitiveness as a blocker is only going to create more opportunities for him. If if people thought he was a non-threat as that move tight end blocking type, I think he's going to get a lot of scrapes out of it. I think you're going to see him get some, you know, some of those pump screens. Like I think there's just a lot of creativity and the balance to his game as technically quote unquote, maybe the undersized wide tight end in uh in today's NFL game
0: yeah and I, and I agree with you especially about his competitive toughness right again he's not big enough yet he's not strong enough yet he's got a frame i think that can hold another 15 pounds you put 15 pounds of growth on that kid and i think he can be an, at least an adequate inline blocker and certainly as an inline blocker, could do everything that Travis Kelsey gets done as yeah, an inline blocker. Let's let's go to number two, Brevin Jordan from Miami.
2: Yeah, number two, Brevin Jordan. So six oh two six, a little bit uh, shorter than your average uh, traditional tight end. Two hundred and forty five pounds, a nice thick, uh, compact build. You know, this is a guy who's again, he's an, another like Kyle. He's a true junior that declared. He's played since his uh, freshman year. He had thirty eight catches, five hundred and seventy six yards, seven touchdowns. He had a really good year and. Think Brevin, you know he's going to make his living. When we talk about just the different spots a tight end can play, he's going to make his living detached and off the ball, you know, in the NFL. So, what, what really stood out to me is just I loved his ability to create his own yards and how he did it. You know, he had he had a burst just to get upfield after the catch, to catch in a to to settle in a hole or to catch a flat and create his own yards out of it. He had lateral quicks, you know, to make safeties to make defensive backs. Uh, linebackers miss in space and generate extra yards. And the last, probably an underrated quality that people won't talk much about him, is his contact balance. This is somebody who would take on contact, would generate yards after contact, would break tackles, which would result in uh, some of the smaller DBs trying to go low, even mixed in a hurdle uh, to keep people honest. And he has that type of run after the catch ability which I think is coveted, you know, in the passing game to be able to create your own yards, you know, in the NFL and not just from a athletic perspective, but from a toughness and a uh, competitive perspective. And, you know, his hands are good. I don't think they're special, but they're good. And he, he worked around the goal line and made some of those high traffic catches. He works in the seam. And, um, you know, I think with him, you know, when you're talking about the different types of tight end being the traditional, why the on the line, the scrimmage tight end, um, he's gonna get displaced as time in lines. And what I mean by that is he's gonna get knocked off his blocks. Um, but you know, in space, he has all the profile to block, whether it's in the screen game, whether it's out in the run game in the perimeter. I just think he needs to clean up some of his angles, keep his feet active. But again, he's got the competitiveness. You see it when the ball's in his hands, uh, to hold up and and even I was asked to held up actually in some pass protection assignments and did pretty well. So I see him as He's a true F tight end and I'm not, I'm not huge on uh, comparisons, but the skill set. as I kept watching him, all I kept thinking to me was Delaney Walker. You know, that's what I saw. And I think for him is his pro days, going to need true. to confirm true. True. that team of athleticism, but that's kind of what I saw with him.
0: All right. Now when I watched this kid, the thing that I, there was one concern I had, I thought, I thought he was a little bit of a body catcher. Like he let the ball get on his body a lot as opposed to Pitts, who always was reaching out to noose the ball and getting it away from his body. But that's coaching. I think that's something. I didn't see him as ha- being hard-handed. I just saw him as having some technique flaws that he's going to need to work on as he goes into co- into pro football. You know, Spence, when I watched him too, the other thing I was out projecting and I thought, man, oh, man, would he be a higher-end higher, higher end athlete in a multiple tight end system like you got in Baltimore? where he can do the scrapes, he can lead up on the line, because he's tough enough to get up on a backer or a strong safety. But boy, oh boy, he gives you much more after the catch than even Andrews and some of those guys in Baltimore do. So I think the kid's got a bright future, and I agree with you 1,000%. I I had him as an F, not as a Y, you know, as a more like fullback, tight end, multiple, all over the place movement guy. And, And good, good, good football player. Tell me about this guy now, because I mean, I'm telling you, sometimes all of us in the media, sports writers, we and we can kibosh a guy's career because you stick a label on him or a nickname on him, and all of a sudden, the expectations go right out the ceiling, but Penn State's got a guy, Pat Friermuth, who goes by the nickname of Baby Gronk. Tell yeah. me about this guy.
2: So, Pat... Um I don't know if he's got technically Gronk size, but he's 604-6, just a little under 6'5, 258 pounds. So he definitely has that true Y inline tight end build to him. I mean, this is somebody who productive uh his since his first game at Penn State. He had eight touchdowns as a true freshman, seven as a true soft, and uh actually had a season cut short this year with an injury, so only got four games in. But two-time team captain. Um, you know what you see on tape is functional speed and solid foot quickness. Um he does a lot of his work over the middle of the field. So what I mean by that is, you know, he's going to use his frame to shield and win and um he kind of has that true classic tight end skill set, you know, the the Jason Witten tight skills type skill set where he's going to use his body to collision and create some separation and he's got the strong hands to suck up those high traffic catches in between linebackers, but you know, we showed a little bit of burst after the catch, you know, when they did uh detach him and use him um in the slot. Um, I thought, you know, the 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 kind of I guess the maybe the the Gronk tag comes to just his running style. I think he's a guy who seeks contact. You know, he knows kind of his athletic ability and uh he's gonna try to be, you know, the proverbial hammer rather than the nail and drop his pads and try to make DBs feel him. So I think maybe that's where it comes from, but, you know, I thought he was an average blocker. I definitely think there's room to grow just for his size and strength. And, you know, I think all those tools will come, you know, once he gets into an NFL program. But uh, for me, he's probably take cow pits out of it, but he's going to be one of the safest prospects of the bunch. I mean, you're getting a two-time team captain. You're getting a guy who makes a living in that intermediate zone and is going to be a, a a solid red zone threat. You know, he's big and strong enough to be a solid blocker, not just a functional blocker as an N9 player. So, you know, I think he's got a potential as a future starting wide, you know, the, the, just the blocking technique, he's going to need to kind of grow into his strength a little bit, but a really solid, safe prospect.
0: Yeah. I, you know what, I, I, I'll be honest with you, Spence, I had a hard time getting excited about him. You know, as you look at the value, you know, excuse me, the evolution of the position. And the evolution of offenses around the National Football League, I think he's. I think you're right. He's a safe, solid guy. He, he reminds me of Kyle Komet. That's who he reminds me of. You know, he's not gonna hurt you, but he's not gonna make a ton of really big wild plays for you either. But right. again, a solid, good football player. I thought second, third round guy. You know, second tops, third round more likely. Tell me about Hunter Long out of Boston College. Your fourth guy.
2: Yeah, Hunter Long's a redshirt junior, so we got to see him in the senior bowl because he graduated. I mean, he's a 6'0", 6, 254. Um, he had a hold nice it, year. hold it, hold it, hold it. Did
0: you see that picture? Put that picture back, Mike.
2: <laughs> that kid looks like he's 12 years old. Hey, that might be his freshman shot. That might be his true <laughs> freshman <laughs> shot. He gotta, to at that.
0: least – can we put a mustache <laughs> or something on him? He looks 12. <laughs>
2: You know, this is a guy who had a pretty solid year. He had 57 catches, 685 yards, five TDs. I mean, he's a real tall, long levered player, so he eats up a lot of grass with his stride, you know. As a receiver, he has what I like to call a runaway route running skill set. So you're going to see him run crossers, seams, flats, overs, benders. He does a lot of his damage. A lot of his catches come in stride or some of those traditional breaking routes, you know, being a longer, lankier, leggier type of guy – he has struggled dropping his weight and kind of creating separation in and out of some of those square cuts. But, you know, I, I thought he was solid working over the middle of the field. You know, he took a lot of high traffic catches some you know, what we like to call the collision is imminent catches where he's going to take a, a a big shot and he better hold on to that ball and not worry about the safety looming. And- um,
0: let, let me interrupt you because I, you hit on something. I want to talk about it, right? When I watched the kid, I thought Dallas Goddard. you know, mm-hmm. I, that's, that's, that was what, but I saw the courage to go in the seam, which I think is really, this is exactly what you're saying. You get this kid against a, two, you know, one Tampa two team or those cover two teams where you're trying to work the seam all the time. I agree with this fence. His ability to get vertical in the seam is really, really, I think special.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I I just think with with, uh, Hunter, you know, the biggest area of growth for him is, and you're going to hear this with a lot of tight ends, but for him, it's going to be his blocking. Um, Again, he's a long, lankier guy. So pad level, you know, is something that he's going to need to work on. He's got a narrow base, which is, we know, you know, some of the the biomechanics experts know that doesn't really help with leverage or power. Um, So he's a guy that, you know, he's going to play especially in Boston college, they moved him around. He played a little bit of Y, a little bit of F. And um, I just think he's got all the raw tools, the size, the length, the frame to be a functional blocker. Um, It's just going to be, can he get the strength and and the technique to kind of clean that up? But I like that linear uh, ability working in the seams. I thought he had dependable strong hands with a solid catch radius. So for him, you know, he can be that Y or F. So I think he's got a future as, At least a number two tight end. And if he can come up the curve, you know, he could. And and when I mean come up the curve, if he could be a little more consistent and firmer as a blocker, um, he has a chance to be a starting wide, you know, in the NFL.
0: All right, let's let's go to your number five rated guy, Tommy Tremble out of Notre Dame. Interesting. Hey, thank you very much, Mike, for putting a mustache on him. That probably got him another half, half, probably went up another round in the draft. This kid, Tommy Tremble, interesting, Spence. Yes. When he was when he was even younger than Komet, when Comet and he were playing together, he he draft, his his excuse me his blocking grade at Notre Dame was better than Comet's was. What do you like about this guy at number five?
2: Yeah, you, you, you hit the hammer on the head on the uh, nail. I mean, I want to give an honorable mention to because I know there's a lot of guys like Trey McKitty out of Georgia and Kenny Yaboa out of Old Miss. Some of these Senior Bowl guys that were productive, but. Tommy Tremble, I mean he's 248, so he's got solid size, but production wise, I mean this is a guy that caught 19 balls for 218 yards and no touchdowns this year. He's a redshirt sophomore, so he's 20 years old, he had 2 years of tape again playing behind Cole Komet, you know, who was in the second round and it's an interesting thing if you go back to Notre Dame's tight ends. I think since 2014, they've only had one tight end, one year of a tight end not drafted. So this is a guy that kind of was kind of the odd man out with some of the top tight ends. And and this year, they actually have a true freshman. That was a freshman, all American. So that's kind of where he uh, slotted in the pecking order, but you know, the outlook for him is he's a violent blocker. I mean, this is a guy that's got active feet in the run game and has a really nice initial pop on contact. There's a play against Alabama where he's offset and he runs what I call a wham block or that cross block on Christian Harris who's going to be a t- player we're going to be talking about in the draft soon and snaps his neck back and you just continue to see it you see it in line where he's where he's fitting up on guys and finishing them he's just got explosive power on contact um which I think is coveted in today's game you know and and and, and as a receiver I mean he's a solid athlete you know you see the speed and quickness in the passing game I just think the hands the route running all those things are going to need to be refined and and you're going to need to see, obviously, maybe even at a pro day level, kind of what his range is as a receiver. But this is a guy who took a handoff as a fullback for them. I mean, he is a true H-back. You know, he's that guy that, and when we talk about roster construction, you know, it's really important when it comes to the draft, because it's, you don't always want the next best starting Y based on how your roster's built. You know, some teams don't dress a fullback or they don't have a fullback on your roster, but they still want the ability to do that. Right. And this is a guy that just... When, when, when you put on a tape and you don't have to watch and just see the catches, when you can notice a guy when he's on the backside of the ball or when he's blocking somebody at the point of attack, it, it kind of draws you to him. And then you start projecting all the things you can do with them. And you'd appreciate this, Jeff, just the, the body control, the athleticism, and the physicality as a special teams player, as a third Absolutely. tight end, that can play fullback. Absolutely. I mean, He's an interesting one. He may not be the best receiving tight end out of those honorable mention groups I said, but his blocking ability is undeniable, especially in that kind of coveted, not a lot of true fullbacks dressing on NFL rosters. So I think he'll be an interesting guy to track kind of through the process. Bro, I love him
0: for two reasons, right? Number one, we mentioned the violence that he plays with. He is a kid that enjoys the physical, at least on tape. he His tape tells you he enjoys the physical part of the game. He's 20 years old, right. so his best football is all way in front of him. You've got a chance to get him. probably going to be a third to fifth, and you're going to get him, and you can grow him the way you want to grow him. And you mentioned it, Spence. This is the kind of guy that makes your special teams dynamic until he finds his role as a starter on your football team. And he may never be a, quote, starter where he's starting every game at tight end, But he'll be that really good H-back, F-tight end, move guy, you know, all that kind of stuff. I agree with you. That's a great, great evaluation of that one and also the tight ends. Next week, it's wide receivers, my man. So, again, you you better bring me some game breakers, brother. (laughs) We'll get it going, man. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. Talk soon. All right. It's awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Spencer Zimmerman, our draft guru, is knocking it out of the park. That's his top five tight ends. I loved it uh again Kyle Pitts special dude special dude talk about special dudes we got another special dude with us right now Michael can we bring in Keith all right there's my guy Keith Grabowski uh Keith how are you doing today in Cleveland
3: doing doing great uh about 60 degrees today so you can't beat it this time of the year
0: oh people are running around without their shirt on in Cleveland at 60 degrees aren't they
3: that's right. Yeah. I put mine back on for the show. <laughs> hey,
0: hey, hey, let, let me ask you a question. Because, right? again, uh, first of all, I got to say welcome to everybody uh, to you from everybody on the show. This thing goes all the way from, I don't know, I, damn near Siberia to Hawaii. So, again, we're covering a lot of <laughs> ground and. For the fans that don't know, that C on Keith's, Keith's hat right there stands for Cleveland. He is a loyal and, and proud Clevelander and big Browns fan. When did you start to be
3: a Browns fan? Uh, birth, I guess. I guess that's how it happens around here. <laughs> and, and then you just can't get away from it. I mean, you know. You go through some of those painful times, those painful years, and be like, I can't I just be a fan of some, someone else? And you try and it just doesn't take and
0: suck you right back into it. <laughs> hey, gimme, give gimme, give because again, I love it. Everybody's got a football journey, obviously. And yours was as a young kid that that was a Browns fan. Who was your who was your hero growing up? Who was your favorite Brown and, and why?
4: Man, the uh
3: the, the, uh, cardiac kids days were big here. So uh, on the offensive side of the ball, I mean, it was Brian Sype, right? I mean, he, he was just, he did some great things for us, but, um, you know, the, the player that I feel like always, it's like the guy I tried to, to emulate and be, and a lot of kids did was like clay Matthews, right? You had that long hair coming out of the helmet, right? As <laughs> As long as I could get away with, with growing mine at a Catholic school where the nuns weren't making me cut it off, I was pushing the limit with that so I could have some hair hanging out the back of my helmet. And
0: Yeah, uh, he, he was the dude. You know, what? one of the things that I, I has always kind of unfulfilled or something that I really wish would have happened was to see young Clay at the end of his career, go to Cleveland. I, I I was so, when he got cut by the Rams, I wanted so much for the Browns to pick him up and have Mm -hmm. him go line up in, in his dad's number and play for the Browns. I would have been like, I'd have been an instant, instant Browns fan. That would have been cool. Yeah, for sure. Hey, now when, when you talk about that group of Brownies, um, had to, I had a really cool experience working in NFL Europe with Sam Ratigliano, and, what a what a great guy what a great guy and he would tell brown stories like unbelievable it was that was really really a good group of football players they just never could get themselves over the hump no
3: and he was doing radio around here the coaches show maybe till just a couple years ago and still telling great stories and um yeah those those were uh, he was a great coach uh those were some really good good players there and yeah, it was just you know Cleveland has is, has is, uh, you know gotten to that point at least in my lifetime. I know before that they won some NFL championships, but you know we've got the drive, we've got the fumble, and we've got Red Right '88. You know <laughs> with with Brian Seip. I was I, I remember that game. I was supposed to go to it was so cold, and uh, we had my dad had gotten tickets for us, but it was like below freezing that day, and. I'm like we could go, Dad, and he's like, "All right, fine." We're walking to church, and we walked to church. At that, it's freezing cold. He has got home. He's like, "All right, what do you think?" I'm like, "I'm good," and my teeth are chattering. I'm
1: like, Let's go. We're <laughs> like,
0: not gone. Hey, now everybody, everybody uh, knows you for your podcast and what you're doing with that. But I, I want to wait. A, we're going to get to that. But I want to go through your coaching journey a little bit because mm-hmm. once you finish playing, and that, if you look over your left shoulder that yellow helmet up there with that white face mask on that wasn't your high school face mask was it <laughs> no no <laughs> but but i have that that helmet somewhere in my
3: house and it's it's my youth football helmet's very close to that it was like the uh the the two bar helmet i mean there was no air in those helmets uh, i mean you jammed that thing on your head and had a headache for, you know, the whole time you had it
0: on. It was not comfortable. That's exactly right. You know, you, you and I had so much fun the other day when I was on your show just talking story. and, and uh, uh, But you finished playing, and now you go into coaching, yeah. right? Yeah. And really, you know, I, I did some background work on you. Really, really great coach. Outstanding yeah. job at, at Baldwin-Wallace. Outstanding job at Oberlin offensive guy really really imaginative did an awful lot of things but somewhere along that way you started writing articles and getting into that now how did that come about
3: uh you know is it was one of those things I I um you know made a a switch from uh teaching high school and coaching to coaching at the division three level and um you know, initially it was uh, it was just an opportunity, I think, to, to get my name out there. I had it was at AFCA is walking around and saw the guys Rex Lardner and, and John Clark from American Football Monthly and stopped by and talked with them. And uh, they asked me a bunch of questions. And, you know, a couple months later, I'm writing an article for them. Uh, a month later, they had me out and I shoot some videos with them at in, uh, West, West Palm Beach, Florida. And it kind of just grew from there. Started doing, you know, at the time, nobody was really doing anything, you know, with video or anything like that. Started writing articles with video. There was one, uh, one break we had like Christmas time. I had like maybe a week and a half off where we weren't recruiting and, you know, we just had some time with our families and was on my Mac and I discovered this software on there called uh, iBooks Author and started playing around with it. And I had always wanted to write like a coaching book, but like felt, felt two things. Like, you know, when I did the video or watch videos and back at the time it was like VHS initially was, uh, I, I, I want everything the coach was saying. He's like, man, I got to write all these notes. You got to write all this down. I got to copy these diagrams. I wish I just had the, the book for it. But then anytime you go to the book, you're like, man, I wish I could see the play of that. And so I found the software was like, could integrate all those things. And so in that little break I had, I, I at night, you know, after my kids went to bed, I just started writing. I wrote my first coach's book, which was uh, 101. Uh, and I called it pro, pro Style Pistol Offense Plays. So we were we were pro style, a pro style offense. We used a lot of 21 and 12, and um, we were always in the pistol though. And and so I wrote about what we did, which was u- a little bit unique. We were doing a little bit differently, like our our quarterback reversed out on everything, even though he was in the pistol and the deception of of what we were doing. With play action was amazing, and I, I, I remember sharing that book with. Um, it was, a, it was a coach at Ashland at the time. His name was Matt Lafleur, and you know, a couple of years ago, I was out at Quarterback Collective, and he's there, and he's like, "You're from Ohio?" I said, "Yeah," because you wrote some books. I'm like, "Yeah," I'm like, "How do I know you?" He's like, "I coached at Ashland." I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's right." So I mean, he was a small college coach right there in Ohio when when I was as well, and. Um, you know, I kept at, at the time I kept telling, uh, you know, anybody I could like if you're in the pistol and you want to do better in play action, quick, be- quick, quick, getting under center to do play action, just reverse out, catch the ball and reverse out. And it, and it had the same effect as if you were under center. The timing and tempo of the play just felt better. The ball was hidden and, uh, we,
0: you I, I, guys. I've got it on my YouTube channel. We you, you, you you, made some you, people look silly. You, you freaking offensive guys are always—it's <laughs> like like you—you take advantage of poor linebackers. Uh, they got they, you know, the, the linebackers are like Pavlov's dog, right? You oh, just show, man. Them, you show them, the ball, and they come to the line of scrimmage. Hey, think about that now, fans. Listen to what listen to what he said. He's talking about Matt Lafleur, who's the head coach of the Packers, right? From the from the. Football league that he coached in this Ohio. You talk about Division three football. This is great football. I'm telling you, great football because Brandon Staley cut his teeth from at coach John Carroll, which is great Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. So you, th- this is the level of football. Now you start writing books. You become a prolific writer. You you go to USA Football and you're head of like you're doing all that coach education, digital content. All, I mean, really fascinating thing. But then you branch off and now you've got and this this Floored me when you said it the other day. Coach and Coordinator Podcast, which is what you do. Fifty five thousand
3: people listen to that thing a week. About fifty five. Yeah, we've had since the beginning. We've had over five million listens. So it's it's four years now. And, and honestly, in the first two years, there was was it was growing, but there was hardly any. And and I mean, most it, you know, going just four years ago. It was difficult for me to get a guest. I'd say, "Hey, you know, Coach, I want you to be on my podcast." And usually, that followed with, "Like, what's a podcast?" <laughs> like, <laughs> which, is, which is, funny because it was 2014, and I, I met this guy who he actually has been on the podcast. He he was uh, he coached college ball as a professor at MTSU now, uh, Dr. Kobe Julianville. and we were we were going to uh, uh, Coach's Choice was doing going to do some work with Coach's Choice. And he came along and kind of was a consultant for my company. And he said at the time, "You should do a podcast." And I, I said the exact same thing to him: I'm "Like, what's a
0: podcast? I had no idea." So, well, from from that to fifty five thousand a week is pretty good, my brother. Yeah. Hey, now, coaches out there, if you wanna, if you got a question for Keith, just go ahead and, and hammer it in on on uh, on the internet, on Twitter, and we'll get it up to Keith. Um, Keith, you know, you and I are very much similar in some ways. And one of the ways we're similar is we really want to grow the game, right? Yeah. We want football coaches to get better. We want the game to get better. We want our kids, you know, you have a son playing. We want our kids to have a better experience. Every young kid should fall in love with the game like we did. I mean, that's the yeah. ultimate goal for us. Yeah. Now, you've been around and you like just name some of it. I want you to name drop for me now. Okay name some of the guys that you've had on your podcast and then i'm gonna go i want to i want to segue into into a little bit into the coach education thing all right yeah some of the talk about some of the guys you've had on that on that show
3: man well i know you know we've had uh bill bill snyder on you talk about a coaching legend and we just talked about how he built culture at at k-state um you know uh, uh Regular guest Phil Longo seems to be on uh, every year. I I get Phil on from North Carolina. Um, Man, so many. Eli Drinkwitz was one we had on in the last year from Missouri. Missouri. Yeah, yeah. I've had Mike Singletary on,
0: Um, the legendary Bears Bears linebacker. You know what's amazing? You you said something to me the other day when we were talking about now. FCS and FBS division one head coaches are coming to you looking for graduate assistants, looking for young guys that want to get into the business. That's amazing. That's a real credit to what you know the reputation that your podcast has.
3: Yeah, I've, I've, I mean, just with all the work I do, because I you know run so many clinics, I talk to so many guys. Um, I mean, you think about it, you know, I'm, I'm doing 260 episodes a year, so uh that's talking to a lot of coaches. Then on top of it in the last year, I don't know, we've, we've run 15 to 20 of these virtual clinics. And so I see a lot of football. I talk a lot of football and it's one of those things, uh, you know, I've had coaches reach out to me and say, Hey, I'm looking for some O-line coaches who, who's some guys I should talk to. And, you know, that was in particular an FCS coach. And I I actually sent them along for, interviews and he listened to those and talked with every single one of those guys there was another coach from the fbs level called me and was like hey we're doing research on rpo who's the best rpo guys to talk to and i think i gave him four or five names every single one of those guys clinicked with them and we're talking like a power five program there um you know call the other day about i need a, a ga what names do you have so I don't know <laughs> you know it's one of those things that started the podcast is just a way to keep learning the game as i had stepped away from it to spend time watching my kids do their thing in high school and um you know all this has kind of grown out of it um that wasn't necessarily the intention but you know you start when you start talking with all kinds of people and developing those relationships um you know you expand your network and that's what this game's about right it's it's, it's about the people okay now
0: before we let you go, I want you to tell every tell the tell the listeners of yours how they can subscribe or how they can get your podcast.
3: Yeah, if you uh, you go to my website, coachandcoordinator.com. Uh we put every episode up there and, and a link to it on SoundCloud. But whatever podcast app you listen on, we're we're on that platform. You know, Apple and Spotify are, are obviously huge ones. iHeart Radio, Pandora, but wherever you might find a podcast, you can find Coach and Coordinator. Then follow me on Twitter. I'm always posting current episodes, past episodes, when I find something timely. Uh, somebody does something good who's been on the podcast, whatever it might be, and that's at
0: Coach K Grabowski. That's G R A B O W S K I. My man, I appreciate it. It was awesome having you on the show. You're you're welcome back anytime. Let's get back together and talk some ball anytime you want to.
3: Absolutely. And everybody tuning in, we have I don't know if it's going to be two or three parts, coach, but we've we've got (laughs) at least two parts with Jeff It was an incredible conversation about coaching. I really enjoyed it. And I don't think we're we're done. I think I'm going to have to call coach again in the future and,
0: and get back on and talk some more ball with him. All right, my brother. Thank you so much right. for being with us, Keith. Yeah, good awesome. catching up. All right. All right, Mikey, let's go, baby. We got to roll on. It's, 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 we are, this is an awesome show. And then you talk about awesome. Here comes awesomeness personified. And yesterday was International Women's Day. And we got her on not because she's a woman, but because she's a hell of a football coach and a hell of a football person, right? I guess that's the politically correct way to say it. <laughs> I, I got to know this girl uh Oh, Jesus. It's been probably, I don't know, six, eight years ago. uh, She was at one of our NFL live events as a player, and she became the captain of the GB national team, the GB Lions, uh, who has been a phenomenal player in her own right, got into the coaching thing because she wanted to be broke and have no security in her future. That's what most people go into coaching for. And lo and behold, she ends up coaching with the Buffalo Bills, as the assistant tight end coach, and I have it on firsthand knowledge from people in Buffalo that she was one of the ones that needs to take a bow for the development of Dawson Knox, their awesome young tight end, because Phoebe really spent an awful lot of time with him in his rookie year, acclimating him to the NFL, teaching him the game, and uh, again, for all the young ladies out there that are listening, this is, you want a hero, here's one to have. Phoebe, welcome to the show.
5: Thank you so much. What an introduction! You are too <laughs> good to me. I love this. <laughs> you can literally uh, introduce me anytime.
0: <laughs> all right, I, I'll take that job. I'll take that job because you are you are more you are probably more uh, jet Setter Miss International than I am because like every time I pick up and again follow follow, tweet, uh, follow Phoebe excuse me on Instagram because it's an awesome feed she has and I follow her. I mean, you are all over the place, girl. What are you doing with an Akron Zips T-shirt? I know. Off?
5: I know. I know. I'm trying. It was funny because you guys—you were talking with Keith before about the John Carroll tree. Uh, the head coach of Akron is Tom Arth, who came from the same tree, and Brandon Staley, and all those guys. So, the more we talk, the more you realize how small and connected this football world is. But um, you know, it was interesting. I was out at Akron actually visiting a few coaches, two of which. Um, Oscar Rodriguez and Rich Wurzel, who gave me my first shot, you know, seven years ago now, six years ago, when it was not a cool thing to do to to get females to come out and uh, follow you at at training camp. So they let me come out to University of Laverne, which was Div 3. And it's just been a really great support for each other that we've had. And and to see them now, uh, Rich is now analyst uh, with Akron and, and Coach Oscar is also a linebacker coach. So yeah, we've had a really great thing going, but um, that all started at BASCA in the UK. Made it back to the US. It all just comes full circle.
0: Well, you know what? When you when you talk about full circle, right? And you, as all of us, some not all of us, because obviously there are a few that don't, but most of us begin our love affair with this game as a player, right? Yeah. And and your your romance with football actually started a little late, correct?
5: Definitely. So I was 22. I basically just moved over to the UK. So I was 22 when I moved over. um, And I got involved because genuinely, I was just looking for a way to meet people. I was on my own over here uh, in the UK. And, and for me, when I when I actually had that experience of being in the UK, and, and meeting all those amazing players and females, in American football, that's what really hooked it for me, that kind of social side of things. And then later down the road, I started a quarterback, which was not pretty for anybody. <laughs> the American accent does not come with a good throwing motion. But um, when I found linebacker as a position, that is what sealed the deal for my real romance, hitting all people right, All
0: right, all right, See, See, it all makes sense to me now. See, even the, <laughs> even the language that you use, and language is so important, and you said, I started in football just to meet people. And then I then you tell me you're a linebacker and I understand how you want to meet. I want to meet them in the C gap and knock For them backwards.
5: Sure. <laughs> you know it.
0: <laughs> so now, how did the thing with the Bills come about? How how did that happen?
5: Yeah, and this is really cool because this actually just started as, as an idea five years ago. The NFL um, and a lady by the name of Sam Rapaport, who's kind of head of division and inclusion, uh, diversity and inclusion within the NFL. They came together and created a network essentially called the Female Coaches Forum. Um, and basically we had access a panel with these incredible people. So Scott Pioli, you know, the assistant GM of the Falcons and Patriots and Chiefs before that. Um, Kim Bagula, owner of the Bills. Uh, Dean Blandino, referees, Ron Rivera, like these unreal people who came, they spoke to us, and we so honest about, A, the different roles that are within the NFL, because a lot of people don't realize how many different jobs there are within an organization, but B, just being straight with us about, it's not all the glamour and glitz that you see on TV. There's a lot of hard work and crazy hours um, and stress that goes into the job, and you know, after talking to them had been recommended to apply for the Bill Walsh Diversity Fellowship, which is quite topical because actually the applications for that are just opening, I think, today even um, mm-hmm. for people. And essentially for those who don't know, the fellowship is, an, is almost like an open door kind of opportunity for minorities to apply. So essentially, not in a rude way, if you are not a white American male you can you kind of are a minority within the sport. Uh, and it's just to really help kind of change the landscape. And I know this is super topical right now, uh, not just because of International Women's Day, but the idea of uh, diversity within organizations. And it's not just a box ticking exercise, but there's also an element where you do need to open that door for people that don't necessarily look like you to bring them into those spaces. So there's a really fine line there where it's not mm-hmm. like a positive discrimination. It's you want the right people in there who are going to work hard and get the job done. But that doesn't mean that everyone looks the same who can do that role.
0: Absolutely. Now, when you look at and this is this is I'm selfish, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna be I'm gonna, I'm like, admitting it because <laughs> I want to tap your brain and I want to tap your experience. In Buffalo, because as an outsider, right, and I and I think I got a clue, right. I mean, oh. I'm not clueless. Well, not at all. <laughs> um, maybe a little bit, but anyway, um, when I watch the Bills, when I watch that, what they have been able to do there, you're talking about a team that was bad for a long, long time, right? Yeah. I mean, twenty years of badness, right? And then all of a sudden, in comes Brandon Bean, and, you know, he hires a guy who isn't the sexiest pick, Mm -hmm. right? You know, he's not the young, flashy offensive coordinator. He's the solid defensive coordinator who really has as much of a wrestling background at William & Mary as he had a football background at William & Mary. But Sean McDermott comes to Buffalo And almost within months, the thing turns around when you were inside of it. What did you see that that made you say these guys are good and they're going to stay good?
5: Yeah. And there's definitely a couple things. And I think I think what started off is just like you come into any organization and and. I think this is a tough bit because now, because I've had such great experiences, I almost, that's the expectation for me that this is how people lead. This is how things should be done. But what coach McDermott did was he brought everyone from that building. So not just your coaching staff, he brought the cooks, the chefs, he brought front office, he brought ticketing, anybody who worked in that building, he brought them all together for a meeting. And he's laid out exactly what his expectations were and the direction that he wanted to go and the culture that he wants to create and he started by bringing everyone on this journey with him with a very clear vision at the time was playoff caliber now championship caliber but a very clear vision of how to achieve that and i think that's the first start because you want to if if you're just an average joe you definitely want to be going with someone whose vision is so clear and he's so laser focused that you think i want to be involved and and you feel like you're part of that process too from the ground up i think that was one of the first things that happened and then on top of that you've got the repeated messaging so here's our clear messaging and now all the time almost every single day you are passing that on there's really great leadership in the building so from the pagulas through to coach mcdermott brandon bean and the coaches all the way down who are able to deliver that messaging to the players. And the kind of third element to it, which I found was really interesting, and I think uh, probably a lot of college college coaches deal with this as well, is when you get someone in your building, if you have players in your building who they may be that star-studded, name-grabbing guy, but if they are almost like a cancer to the team the impact, the negative impact that that has on you. So not not just in terms of respect your players have for you, but also it makes them not want to be a part of that. And I think that's a process you kind of go through because you think, well, we've paid them this amount, or you know, we've got them for X amount of time. Sometimes just admitting and, and cutting your losses is actually so much better and fruitful for the team than kind of holding on to a kind of dead weight, if that makes sense. So for me, I think those are the biggest things. Clear messaging, repeated messaging, um, having the right people in the building. Those are those are three things that that are really great way to kind of build your house on top of.
1: Hey Phoebe, how's it going?
5: It's going very well. How are you?
1: Going good. I'm Michael, sorry, and good to know. People that watch this know it's me, but unfortunately Jeff's Wi-Fi is cut out. But it happened in the last guest and he came back within about a minute. So hopefully no it should true. be okay. Um, I was going to say, there is a few comments coming in from people. Like, there's a lot of love tonight for all the guests. We've got a couple of things here now. Um, I've seen a really good comment. I'm going to try and put it up here now. There's a lot of topics to cover, but what's your advice for young coaches in Europe? And I know you sort of touched on it there, but people that want to get involved in the game now at the moment, because I know it's very – it's interesting to get involved in the game. But tell you what. Here's Jeff. Here's Jeff. Yep, here he is. Fine. There he is.
0: I have no idea what happened, but, but –
5: I hey. thought I was leading the show. That's all right. Watch <laughs> out, Jeff. I got you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> See, that's a wait, wait, give a give a woman a chance, is she are going to take over. I mean, that's you the way. It, it. That's the way it should work. <laughs> I was about hey. to answer Rick's hey. question. <laughs> hey, now I, I, you're going to go off on another journey, right? Are you? And tell us about what you're doing in Germany. Going to coach football in Germany?
5: Yes, sir. I am so excited. I have um, signed a contract with the Potsdam Royals. So just a new challenge, to be honest with you. I've really been looking for something that kind of strikes my love again. As you know, as you were stuck in the UK, we've not had football over there for a year. Um, and I'm going to be going out, taking on the linebackers, assistant to the DC. Uh, we've got some exciting people on board. We also have some uh, you know, really great European talent. So to actually see that at this level and see some of our brits that have made it over to germany is going to be so exciting i've never been a part of the german football league i think we had one female perhaps who is with the munich cowboys so um i'm so thrilled to be a part of it i also am wanting to start a like mentorship kind of intern program off of it so i'll be coaching out there and i'll be taking on a female intern for the season as well to kind of get more women into these coaching roles so there's a lot of really exciting things in, in, the, um, in the plan right now, and, and Germany is just one more cool challenge. Hopefully, we'll get you out there. You'll have to come come check out the guys, see what we can do our linebackers, baby. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, you know what, Pheebs? It's always great to catch up with you, and congratulations. I'm proud of you, and I just really think you are one of the real special ones. And thank so thank you. you. Thank you for being on the show. And I know that you're going to coach the shit out of those guys over there. in Germany.
5: You know it. You know it. Thank you uh, for your unwavering support. You're amazing. Thank you.
0: Always going to have it, girl. It's just the way it is. Thank, thank you. you. All right. That's Phoebe Schechter. Uh, Michael, we have got a guy here that's coming on that has been waiting. And I'm going to tell you something. When you make an NFL guy wait, you know, it's it's uh you know they're a special guy if they hang if they hang in there with you. Is Dalton here? Yep, I'm here, man. Hey, there he is. What's up, big cat?
4: <laughs> I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. I got no problem with waiting, man. Just uh happy to be on here today. So thank you.
0: Hey, well, we're gonna talk a little bit about your past, a little bit about your football journey, and I want to talk a lot about Reisner Up, your foundation at the end, because I think what you're doing, you are you are honored today. I'm going to tell you, that we're going to throw an honor on you, right? Which we award every week on this show because Dalton, there's so much negativism in the world and so much hate and anger and frustration and every, all that stuff. And everybody wants to focus on the negative all the time. We don't, we we go the other direction. So every week we pick a good guy of the week on our show. And it's an NFL player who does good works both in his community and just in his life. And we've had a tremendous n- a number of guys come on. You, you win the award this week as the good guy of the week and for all of the stuff that you do. Because uh, when, Mike, when Mike talked about getting you on the show, I said, God, yeah, sure, I'd love to have him on. And, and the more I researched you, the more I saw that, man, this is a good dude. This is a guy that not only is a great football player, it's a great human being so congratulations
4: hey well thank you so much man that that means the world to me that's uh, exactly why I'm down here on earth man I love this game of football but at the end of the day it's a game with a leather ball brother and uh, <laughs> um, I hope my legacy goes far beyond uh, a game with a leather ball and you know the, the impacts that I make with this platform of the NFL that I have are far more important to me so I'll uh, most definitely take the good guy of the week award man thank you so much and got a lot of respect from you i've I've been on here for 10 15 minutes just watching you go from person to person man i respect the hustle i respect the grind and uh you do your research on everyone that's on here so much respect to you my man all right so
0: so now I'm i'm gonna i'm gonna knock you out the park on this one born in branson missouri now dude how long did you live in branson I lived in Branson for probably a year.
4: I moved to Wiggins, Colorado, when I was probably four or five years old. So we were out in Missouri. We were in Springfield, Nixa, Branson. We were all over out in Missouri for a couple years, and then finally made the move to Colorado.
0: The reason, the reason Dalton, I I, like that struck me was uh, when I was a kid, uh, my dad was in professional baseball, and there was a baseball camp in uh, actually in. Kimberling City, which is not far from Branson, right down on Table Rock Lake, right? Yeah. And we used, to, we used to go down there as kids and spend our summers down there while my dad was coaching baseball. And I saw Branson, I said, there, there's like all I can ever remember of Branson was show me baseball camp. And the the there was like a country music thing or something, some Jed Clampett uh, country music show or something i can't remember but i I thought man i said my man is from branson but wiggins is that's out in eastern colorado isn't it
4: yeah it's out in eastern colorado and what's funny you know you spent your summers at uh table rock lake i spent my summers at lake of the ozarks which is literally probably two three hours from table rock lake so absolutely going to the ozarks i met my girlfriend that's now my fiance there um so i got all the connections out there my man but yeah wiggins is eastern colorado about hour and a half east of denver out in the plains
0: all right so i want you to just put your chin down on your chest a little bit one time just one time okay so that ks that is purple yep. on your hat that stands for kansas state the wildcats of kansas state how did you escape the buffs or the rams
4: <laughs> man i will tell you this jeff the Colorado State Rams recruited me very, very hard. And I have a lot of respect for them. They were one of the first teams to offer me. Colorado Boulder, I think that they do a, you know, they recruit a ton out of California. And I'm not trying to be salty, man. I'm trying to keep good vibes. The day. <laughs> um, but that is something I carry on my back, man. They just, they never had the time of day for me, which is totally fine. You know, they're successful. They got my guy, Philip Lindsay, So they did great. You know, maybe they didn't need me, but Kansas State University just showed me a ton of love and, um, that's where home became for me. But, uh, yeah, Colorado schools, uh, in terms of Colorado Boulder, they just didn't they didn't want some 1A kid from Wiggins, Colorado, I guess. Well,
0: well, bro, they didn't want a pretty good running back out of Denver either that had to walk on and then became a real good player. So you're talking <laughs> about Philip Lindsay. Hey, you know, uh, we had Keith Krabowski on from Coach Coordinator Podcast, and he was talking about uh, the legendary Bill Snyder. You know, tell me about that man. Tell me about what your experiences were like being around Bill Snyder.
4: Well, that was a huge reason why I went to Kansas state one, you know, I come from this town of 800 people. I used to bull ride. I used, I worked on a dairy farm my whole life and no one's ever went to go play football other than my older brother, Taylor. So I came from this situation, you know, this town, I was raised on hard work, blue collar, and that's exactly what Bill Snyder prides himself in. He loves taking guys that are ready to work. He's an old school guy. He transformed me into a man. And, you know, the most important thing is when I walked into his office, most coaches, you know, I had 10, 15 offers. And one the only coach that mentioned something about turning me into a better father, a better husband, a better man, a better son, a better friend, better teammate was Bill Snyder. He mentioned the important things in life and how he was going to help transform me and not only prepare me for, you know, college football, but prepare me for after college football to where I'll be set up for life and – That's something that I really valued, and he held true to it. Coach Snyder was an unbelievable head coach, but what he was better at was being a life coach. I've never had a better life coach than Coach Bill Snyder. And I'll tell you this, my time there at Kansas State was hard. I wanted to quit multiple times. I was a four-year starter and a three-year captain, and that man, Bill Snyder, he never once told me he was proud of me. He never once told me I had been successful or that he was proud of anything I did. But you know what? Senior night, he looks at me and he said he was proud of me. And I hadn't got that in five years that I did for him. And he finally said it to me on senior night, my last night as a Kansas State Wildcat. And it meant so much.
0: So did we sw- did you swell up a little bit?
4: Yeah, I you know. I swelled up a little bit. And <laughs> my time there, I thought that we were never going to be close. But me and Coach Snyder, we talk all the time, man. I actually just saw him a couple weekends ago. So that's my guy.
0: That's really cool. So you, you get drafted in the second round. And the phone rings if it's typical like most guys. You're sitting with your family at your draft party. And the phone rings. Probably a selection or two selections ahead of Denver. Did you know it was the Broncos that were calling your, home, your hometown team? Dude, I got a story for you, man. One,
4: I got to let you know. I was in Elway's restaurant in downtown Denver. You're John, kidding me! Is that John where you made, had your? Is that where you had your party? That's where I had my party, man. That's where I had my party. I wasn't gonna do it in Wiggins, Colorado. Our house wasn't big enough, so I did it. <laughs> I did it at Elway's restaurant in downtown Denver. And you know what's crazy is you think I would have got the call two round two picks before. The craziest thing. I don't know if this is every guy's story. I don't think it is. I'm sitting there, and it says the Broncos are on the clock for pick 41. And there's like eight minutes left to go. And I'm sitting there looking at my agents because we knew day two, we didn't think we'd get past the Broncos pick 41. I look at them and I said, would I have been on the phone by now? They said, you probably should have been on the phone two picks. Yeah. ago."
1: And I yeah. said,
4: I get up. I'm walking out of the room. I'm walking out. And not because I'm throwing a fit. I'm just, I need to get some air. And then two minutes later, my agents come running out and they say, John Elway's on the phone. You better pick it up. And sure enough, it was the Broncos with like five minutes left to go. I don't know what was going on. I don't know if they're trying to decide if they're going to take me or Drew first, or whatever it may be. But it did not happen two rounds before, so it was uh, a dream come true, man. I got I got to party rock till 6 a.m. in the morning and get get to the facility by seven to check in. Was <laughs> hey, now uh, I want to I want
0: to I want to talk about this because I saw a bunch of stuff a bunch of stuff where Drew has taken a tremendous amount of heat in the media in Denver. He's been attacked from all sides and every time he gets attacked, there's one guy that has his back publicly and it's you. Tell me about your relationship with your quarterback.
4: You know, man, one thing I really believe in is he's my quarterback right now and I can't believe I won't say any names, but it's just astonishing how anyone on our football team or anybody would even get the idea to not make that our number one guy because that's our quarterback. That's who's going to win our US football games right now. And if I don't think that I have my stuff figured out, I'll keep it PG. I could say other words, but if I don't have my stuff figured out, why? Would, why would I go attack another one of my teammates and tell tell the media? Now, if you want to go talk to someone one on one, that's fine. But why would I go to the media? and talk about what that person needs to get better at. Because you know what? I have mistakes. I guess I've always been one to look in the mirror first. And I'm not going to say one thing about my teammates because I think I have plenty to work on myself. And frankly, a lot of the guys that have mentioned our quarterback and what they think needs to change with him or who else they want in here, those guys have plenty to work on themselves, and they need to focus on what they need to get better at. And that's what we need to do in Denver. All 11 guys, I don't care who it is. You can have the most talent in the country you got to have 11 guys to go out there and work together and do their job. So as long as Drew's my quarterback, I'm going to have his back 100%. I could only imagine what it's like to wake up every day and feel like the city doesn't want me there and feel like my some of my own teammates don't want me on the team. I couldn't even imagine that. But, you know, I wake up every day and I go and work out with Drew lot, 6 in the morning, 7 in the morning. Now I see him busting his ass every single day despite everything going on. And that makes me have so much respect for him that he stayed the same guy He's weathering the storm right now, and it, and it gets me a little bit emotional, man, because I want to see him succeed so bad because I come from Wiggins, Colorado, and I feel like I got to where I'm at based off hard work. And I keep telling Drew, I said, man, the way you're acting right now, the way you're carrying yourself makes me have so much respect for you because you're weathering the storm. You could have decided to go one of two ways. You could have went one way and put your head between your legs and said, I'm out, or the other way and put your head down and just grind your ass off and make sure this thing pays off. So I could talk about it for an hour, ramble on, man. But I appreciate you noticing that. Um, I'll always have my guys back. You know
0: what I tell you, and let me tell you some of the impression what you just said made makes the move with me, is one of the questions I had about him just in terms of when I was evaluating him for the draft and where he would go and all stuff was some of the stuff about how he will. Everybody's gonna. There's one thing you're guaranteed in pro football, one, and that's adversity, and you're going to get it, and you're going to get it in spades. Now. My question was based upon interview stuff was how would he handle when the criticisms comes and what you're saying, what I'm hearing out of you, if I'm a Brown, I mean, if I'm a Broncos fan, I feel good because there's a guy that's instead of like you say, pointing the finger back, instead of bitching, instead of complaining, instead of feeling sorry for himself, he's choosing to work because there's only one way out of it. And that's to work your way out of it. Now, Let's, let's talk about a very very improved and improving offensive line right that you guys have in denver and i think that's that's probably been one of the real positives you know you you come in and you're, you're a pro football focused rookie pro football writer uh rookie of, you know rookie all-rookie team guy they go out and they get glasgow and i'll bet you and glasgow are pretty good buddies aren't you
4: Yeah, Graham Graham is the man, dude. He is the man. I couldn't couldn't get together two more opposite people down here on this earth. Graham is very quiet and reserved. I'm very outgoing and outspoken, but that is my guy, man. We love to get together. Um, He's a phenomenal football player. I've learned so much from him. He's so technical, and I appreciate you mentioning the offensive line because I think that we have come a far way, and, you know, that's without Juwan James, a really, really high-paid tackle that um, opted out this last season and was hurt the season before. But we got a lot of tools. Garrett Bulls has continued to evolve and evolve into the player that I feel like he's always been able to be. So he just got paid. You know, I'm at left guard. I feel like I have room to improve, but I feel like I put together two really good seasons. I got to continue to build off that. Lloyd Cushenberry came in, poor guy, had no preseason games, no camp straight off of the national championship, got introduced to the league, you know, quick and early against the Steelers, all these guys. And he evolved so much throughout the season. He's turned into a grown man. Graham Glasgow, you mentioned. And then you got Juwan James that's coming back. We also had Elijah Wilkinson and Damar Dodson. So uh, I always love when people mention the offensive line, man. A lot of respect for you for that. Thank you. Well,
0: you know, and and, and talk about your team, your football team. And, you know, when you get Cortland back next time, um, which next year you should get him back, and you, you, you know, you start looking at that offense, and you got weapons, you got tools, you got
1: that was always going to happen. I, I could see it in his face, Dalton, that his computer was going to go because it happened about three seconds ago before you came on. So, I'm just going to jump into a question because I know he'll come back before you finish this off. You talked uh, to me and Colin about this on Broncos Europe a couple of weeks ago, and thank you for your patience here. Uh, George Payton comes in. A lot of people that watch this show are just NFL fans. They're not Broncos fans. So from the outside, looking in the Broncos at the minute, what's changed now? I know you had the chance to speak to George Payton. How, how optimistic are you going ahead this season? And I'll bring Jeff in as quickly yeah. as possible.
4: Yeah, man. Well, you know, Jeff, he started to mention guys on our football team and guys like Cortland Sutton. And, you know, we have so many weapons on our team. Uh, we can be a very successful football team. Like I mentioned earlier, we got to bring it all together, and we all got to perform out there on the field. I don't think any of us should be concerned with any how anyone else is playing. We're 5-11 right now. I don't think any of us should look at the quarterback position, the wide receivers, the O-line, the running backs. None of us deserve that right now. I'd say there's one guy on our team that I think can do that, and that would be Vaughn Miller because he's been around a long time and he's a very great player. But other than that, I think we all need to focus on – our job. How can we be better at our job? And if we all do that, all 11 of us are going to be on the field doing our job, being successful. And it's going to be a hell of a lot easier to talk to you, talk to the media, talk to fans about us whenever we're not five and 11. And you mentioned George Payton, You know, just getting a fresh new set of eyes around the facility, a guy that has faith in this team and believes in this team and what we could be capable of you know that's huge. I think that I think that's so important to have a guy like that. Elway's still going to be around the building, so you know there's a lot of optimism around Denver Broncos football. There always be, there will always be, and you know fans, Broncos country, they expect a lot. As you know, Michael, you know even if you just make the first round of the playoffs, a wild card, that's not enough for them. They want a Super Bowl contending team every single year. We're spoiled, Broncos. Have, we're a very, very great franchise. we won more Super Bowls than most. So we love that. We love the expectations of Bronco country, and I just want to make sure that we do our job to fulfill that. That way, next year, we're chatting in March, and you guys are hyping me up talking about the Super
1: Bowl run that we made. We're talking about some bad news for you because Jeff's about to jump in. Yeah, I, 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 let I, me I, tell you
0: something. I'm <laughs> a, I, that Bronco love fest that was just going on, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> hold on, hold on,
1: hold on. Don't, Jeff's a Raiders fan, so I'm just going to go. Jeff's a Raiders. hey, hey
0: now – let me ask you a question. You play in a very tough division, right? I mean, I'm talking about maybe the best division in football. And you got a lot of young pieces. You got It's starting to come together. This is a critical season for you coming up, don't you think, for, oh. for Vic Fangio, for the organization, for everybody. Is, oh, yeah. Do you guys have that sense of urgency around the coming season?
4: George Payton's first year. Vic Fangio's third year, we've had two losing seasons. You know, me and Drew Locke, Noah Fant, that whole draft class, we've had two losing seasons. You know, there's a lot of people around our organization that need us to be successful. and We want to be successful. And I believe the urgency is there. And and I hate to tell you that I feel like it is because I'm a big believer that there should always be urgency. You know, even if we had a great year last year, I feel like there should be just as as much of urgency going into this season because it's professional ball. We get paid a lot of money to go out there and win football games, and that's what we need to do. But I would tell you, I hope I haven't been able to be around my teammates because of COVID and off season. but as soon as we can get together, I know the way I feel in my heart. I know the the shakes I get on March 9th here in the off season, March 10th, whatever day it is, just working out, thinking about football, talking to you about football. There's urgency, man, and I, I think that's going to be replicated whenever we all get together um, right around this season for sure.
0: I love to hear a football player who loves football. Hey, talk to me now and talk to us, all these viewers around the world that we have and listeners that we have about your foundation, about what you do and about what, you know, it's kind of like your I I took it as your mission statement, right? Talk about
1: that, Dalton.
4: Yeah, you're exactly right. It is my mission statement. And,
0: you know, I could go on and
4: on and tell you story after story, but I'll start with one and that was i won't name any teams or head coaches but i remember leading into the combine my agents told me with how outspoken i am about my faith and about my mission of doing good works in this life to be prepared for a team to ask me about my priorities and they want to hear that football is first and this is probably up up for controversy across the world but i'm not down here to play football i'm not i i got tattoos all across my arms it's filled with bible scripture I'm down here to be a disciple of the Lord. I'm down here to be a good person. I can be best friends with someone that doesn't believe in the Lord because that's not what it's about. I'm down here to love people and make an impact far beyond the game of football. I remember in that combine, I got asked a question by a head coach. Most of my meetings ran about 30 minutes. That head coach ended my meeting about five minutes into the meeting, 25 minutes left to go because of a response that I gave, a response that mentioned, you know, I'm the, what I just told you, I'm not down here to play football. Yes, I love this game of football. I'm going to work my ass off to be the best football player I can. But that is not my main priority down here on earth. Because if Jesus was sitting in that room, I would hope that I made him proud. So that is just where my story began. That's where Reisner Up, the foundation began. I created that while I was in college, right before, right around the draft. So 5013C uh, nonprofit. And you mentioned a mission statement. And my mission statement is simply... I didn't work hard to be six foot five, 300 pounds. I might have worked hard to eat mom's pancakes growing up, but that's about it. I was blessed with this size, I feel like, for a reason. Not to talk about my car, not to talk about a big house that I have, or hey, look at me. I, I feel like I was blessed with that size to make an impact and use this platform of the NFL football to make a difference in people's lives. Whether it be a small difference, whether it be a big difference, whatever it may be, that's what that's what my foundation replicates. That's what it represents is just being a good person. Earlier in our interview, you mentioned the negativity in this world, how much of it there is. My foundation, everyone involved with my foundation, the whole reason I created it is to spread more positivity, be a good person, show other people what goodness looks like, what kindness looks like, everything like that, man. So I really appreciate you asked me about it. That's something that's very near and dear to my heart, something that will always be a treasure to me. Um, if anyone wants to check it out, it's uh, risingrup.com and, and the Rising up Foundation on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.
0: Well, young man, I got to tell you, it is a refreshing time when you can sit and talk to a, a great NFL player. And I, I put you in that category as a great player. You're not just another guy in the league. You're a great player in the league that has his priorities right, that has his head on right, and it recognizes that – that as a national football league player you can do so much good in this world for so many people and the fact that you actually live that is is awesome 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 you're welcome back anytime Dalton we'd love to have you and again you got a whole bunch of fans that maybe they may not even be Bronco fans but right now they're Dalton Reisner fans because of the person that you are so thank you so much for being on the show today. Hey, thank you so much, man.
4: God bless, and go Broncos. Thank you again, brother.
0: <laughs> All right, brother. Thank you. What a great show, Michael. Holy Toledo. I cannot believe what a show. Oh. And we got great people on this thing, and and I don't know what was going on. Somebody was fishing around on my internet. I don't know what was happening. It has a life of its own, buddy. That's that's why you make the big bucks, dog.
1: We will take it. We'll take it. Look, look you know, we've we done it. We're live Uh it worked. Dalton was good fun as always there. Uh,
0: yeah. Great. So. And Phoebe was outstanding. Keith was outstanding and again as always Spencer was for sm- spot on. This is going to be a big show, baby. We're going to We may have to cut this one up a little bit, but I think it was I think if you're the fans, you got to love it and we'll be back with more next week. What Hey, I was going to ask you, bro. What what
1: episode are we on? 38, I want to say. We're closing
0: in on 40, man. That is awesome. That some projects day really, really really next real. week
1: as well, Jeff, so we'll have to so, try. So what does
0: that mean? I got to wear green or you won't be available?
1: Jim Kelly. We'll, we'll, we'll get him on our tongue readings. Really. So <laughs> so, someone with Irish.
0: Uh, <laughs> we got to get an Irish guy in, all right? Okay, I got you. Uh, hey, listen, man, it's always fun doing this with you. I appreciate your work. You do great stuff for us. You are the man. What Evening, folks. What's the crack? And I tell you what, you, you guys are going to get me talking like you guys. Aloha, Keith from OJ. Uh, That's awesome.
1: Chuck McBride, family, faith, and football. There's a little comments, bit. and there's one there for you to end it off. Jeff.
0: Chuck McBride is he's a Raiders fan. He's one of my guys. He's from he's from Canada. He's one of, he's a big Raider fan up in up in the North Woods of Canada. So I love him. Hey, uh, great show. Appreciate you. And now we're gonna go over and uh, do a little cameo on the Irish show here in a few minutes
1: slicing and dicing i hope yeah you can check us over i'm sure well you'll you'll obviously retweet it so people will come all over and see the crack but
0: yeah jeff cheers all right mate take care
1: take care